applause was for Chad being able to dodge that beetle. Is that what that's about? Uh, well, welcome. Um, some of you are new, and I have met you, and some of you I can see that I haven't met that are new, and so I, I would love to get an opportunity. I know it's Labor Day weekend, but um, I'll be around here during service. Just uh, I'd love to just be able to say hi, get to know your name, um, and maybe just a little bit about you. Uh, we're glad you guys came. Uh, it's Labor Day weekend, and you're all here. You gold star in heaven. Wow. That's great. Uh, I want to pray because I have a lot to get to. Uh, this message is partially personal to me uh, because I, I, I think it's important to talk about. I have a break between our series, and when I get a moment where we're not kind of in, 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 a, in a series that we've laid out, and, and I just, like, God, okay, where are you wanted me to go, uh, I wrote a message and then scrapped it. So that's great. And then uh, wrote this message because I felt like maybe, God, this is where you want me to go for this week on Labor Day weekend. Labor Day is, we're, we're, we're really called to rest, right, with the holiday. But I think that it, it's one of these times where maybe we can celebrate who God is, the work that he's been doing in our lives, the tireless effort for you and for his work. God never takes a day off. I know we read about the seventh day he rested, uh, but <clears throat> he has been at work since. He will not stop working. He will complete the mission. And I think for us, we have to realize that more and more and more as we will go through life, we will experience things that God is never taking a break from your life. He is never leaving you. He is always engaged and always right by your side. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today for, for, for some, I think, maybe who really, really, really need to hear this. Everybody does. But I think for some, they really need to hear it. So let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for who you are, your character. God, that not one of us is lost on you. No matter how Small the issue is where we're crying out to you, God. Or no matter how, like even unspoken prayers, unspoken hopes or desires, God, that you, you really speak on our behalf in those areas, God. So many of us experience your miraculous hand in our life. So many of us experience doors being opened or shut when we needed them to be. So many of us, God, I think, have relied so deeply on you at times. And some of us, God, need to remember that everything is from you. Everything we have, every blessing, every, every direction you want us to go, God, you will lead us in the right way. And so, God, we thank you for your heart for humanity, your heart for us. And, God, that not only did you, Christ, die on the cross for humanity, but you died personally for us. And you've placed inside of each one of us the, the Holy Spirit, which is our continual guide, our continual advocate for us. God, you are for us. You are not against us. And we love you and we thank you. God, help me be able to do your character justice today in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just get right to it. I titled this message, More Than You Know. I think sometimes we will underestimate the work of God in our life. 
I think sometimes if it doesn't happen, boom, right in front of us, the way we would expect God to do it, we, we may think that God might not be there, but you do not realize that God is a covert operator. It will not always be overt. You may think that, God, I want this to happen this way, or why is this happening this way? I, <clears throat> I cannot explain the way God moves. It is mysterious, which we'll talk about. But I will say that he is continually in your favor. He is continually, covertly, in ways, working on your behalf when you have no idea what he's doing. Some of you may have had experiences, but it's hard sometimes to see his covert work until you look backwards. And then you go, okay, wait a minute. On reflection, I can see where you were here, here, and here. And I have grown to realize that, and I thank you, God, for that. So I titled this message more than you know, and it's just realizing how much God does actually care for you. I can say these cliche words of God cares for you, and people might go, how, where, why? I don't know if I felt care. But I, I, I may be here to say if you have these thoughts or you have these feelings about it, that you may have a misunderstanding of maybe how God is continually working in your life. If God can create the universe... If you believe that, if God can make something out of nothing, if God can orchestrate the, the planets in the way that they are perfectly done for life here, if God can design you in such a way that it's brilliant, then I believe that God is capable of working on your behalf and all of us individually. At the same time, continue his work. In our life, you know, I shouldn't have done it, but I was reading about like studies on like like I, I say post pandemic because I feel like we're we're headed in a different direction, which is good. But uh, on the effects of mental health, so I read all these journals, but and I read all these studies and polls. But at the end of the day, what you saw continually rise within people and maybe within us. Sometimes we kind of have to stiff up or lip it, but some of us may have experienced these things or may be experiencing them now. And you saw a high increase in fear from the year prior. You saw a skyrocketing of depression, a rise of 42%, which is extraordinary for one year. Anxiety shot through the roof and also hopelessness, which I thought was an interesting one to put on the study, that you'd see hopelessness was on the rise. And so... I think for the first time in my lifetime, all, all, everyone I had been with around me and know instantly was put into a crisis, instantly was forced to feel certain things or experience certain things, or if they had these feelings, they began to skyrocket into very difficult places. So I would say that all of us can relate to the fact that there were moments where maybe we have experienced one or two of those things at a time, or maybe some of us, all of them, or all of them now. But I have a different message for you. Um, I don't want to dismiss ever what someone is feeling, and, but I do want to also let you know a God that you may not always see doing what he's doing. The Bible says we have to go by, not, cannot go by sight, but we have to go by faith. And that's where the rubber meets the road, right? And I'm not going to say, 
oh, then just faith your way out of depression. Some things people need more help than, 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 than um, I know of, right? So I'm not going to dismiss that. But what I'm saying is we must, must continually hang on to faith and walk by faith, even though what we see is a major distraction. We were in our community or in our discipleship group, which, by the way, who, who was in our men's morning discipleship group? Raise your hand. Right? It, I don't know. Chad, how, long, how many weeks did this go? Five months. Chad said, we're going to get through, you know, a couple chapters a week. Next thing you know, we're five months in. And uh, Dad did tell me, though, when I am there, it goes longer. And so I do apologize, everybody. In this group, in the study of John, which we all greatly appreciate, and Chad, you did a great job leading that, is that one passage stuck out in my mind. I didn't say it in the group at the time, but I kind of just over and over, which has really ultimately resulted, resulted in this message. And it was when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet in John 13. I'll put the passage up on there. He says this, Jesus replied, as Peter questions him, why are you doing this? He says, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Now that, mind, that, that, that phrase stuck in my head, and it was just like, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. And I started thinking about the things of like, I don't understand what's happening, or God, maybe what you're doing, but one day I will. And it just really kind of got me thinking, and it reminded me of this verse. I came across it a while back, and <clears throat> it's a famous verse. It was actually in this song that we just sang about the potter and the clay, and that God is working on our behalf, right? And uh, it's in Isaiah 45, and it reminded me of this, this little part of Scripture where um, Isaiah is, is, in a way, prophesying in a way what God is having a conversation with someone, but then Isaiah makes his own comment. And so you hear when thus says the Lord, essentially, God's talking, and then he makes a little comment, and then he goes back into thus says the Lord. He stands in awe of something. And so what happened is Israel is in exile. They've been taken over. They've been crushed and destroyed. They've been taken captives, and they see no sight, you know, no end in sight for their exile. And God is doing something very interesting through a very specific, famous character in history. And I'll just read it here, Isaiah 45, it says, This is what the Lord says to Cyrus. Now, this is not a name of Israel. This is a fascinating way of God, the way God operates. This isn't, this isn't a believer. He's not of Israel. He's not of the line of, of, uh, of the kings or Moses. Or he, he, this, this is an outsider. But historically, Cyrus would be considered one of the greatest ancient rulers Kind and generous and, and really, in a way, establishing and helping more than any other ruler in his day. And he ruled at such a great capacity, right? But he was a Persian king, and, but God's speaking to a Persian king, and he says, his anointed one. <laughs> so God is talking to a guy who is not, should not normally be an anointed one and chosen for a task, set apart, and here's what he says. He says, uh, the anointed one whose right hand he, God, will empower. Verse 4. God says this. Why have I called you for this work to Cyrus? Why do I call you by name when you don't even know me? And this is on God, for God, his character, on behalf of you, whom, whom you have a covenant with. 
Listen to how God treats covenants and his commitment to them. He says, it's for the sake of Jacob, my servant, a covenant. And he said, Israel, my chosen one. And as God is saying these things about what God is going to do through Cyrus that will bring Israel back to their home and restore these people. Isaiah just has to blurt it out. And he says this, clearly you are a God who works behind the scenes. God of Israel, Savior, God. Now, we wouldn't think God would work this way, but he works this way. We wouldn't think God would use Cyrus in a way and empower him for the freedom of God's people. But God made a covenant, and he does not break his covenant. It doesn't always look like how it should look, and God doesn't always deliver in the way that right, we think God would deliver, but he is in the works behind the scenes. Every time you will wonder and question, God, where are you? You, you? you have to lean on moments like this and go, he is working on my behalf. And it might be in a very unorthodox way, in a way that I don't see it coming. But all we can do is remember those words of Isaiah, oh, you are a God who works behind the scenes. You're at work, right? If you have your phones or a pencil or pen, can you pull that out real quick? I would like you to write these questions down. It's the first time I think I've ever made everyone do this, but I think it's important. I'm going to put them on the screen so it's easy to do. You can screenshot it if you want. Um, or not screenshot it. You can take a picture if you want. But I want you to ask these questions. I want you to write them down. I want you to take them home, and I want you to think about them this week. Maybe you do it over Labor Day and you ask these questions. Maybe you do it tonight. But one, when was the last time you felt the care of God in your life. When was the last time you felt it? It's important to evaluate that. Two, do you have a testimony of God looking after you like Israel? Going on your behalf when you don't know where to go. Making things work that you didn't realize and all of a sudden you realize there are God you are doing that. Do you have a testimony of that? You should write it down or many if you have them and then three do you have time when you uh sorry when you were the hands and feet do you have a time where you were the hands and feet of god to bring care to another person where literally you were the agent that god had sent like cyrus and you were the agent of that person seeing god on work at work on behalf of uh of some uh, of someone else were you the hands and feet that delivered the good news? Were you the hands and feet that said, listen, God's thinking about you. Has God ever placed on your heart saying, I don't know why, but I just feel like God's kind of sending me to do this. If you have that, maybe reflect it or maybe write it down. And then what area do you need God's care right now in your life? Is there an area that you need his care? We're good at handling problems, are we not? We love it. Some of us love taxless so much, it's like insane. But in some areas, there is only something God can do for you. No one else can do it. Nothing else can do it. You cannot do it for yourself, and only he can do it. And it's in, in, a, in a way, there is a care that some of us might have to let God do the work. We can try all we want, but at the end of the day, there's a spot that only God can handle something and bring about redemption or healing, right? 
And so is there an area right now in your life that you need care in your life? That will ultimately turn into a prayer. But I would say this, knowing the heart of God uh, in your life, the heart of God for you in your life, will, it will open up ultimately trust to him that you can rely on him. If you don't have, uh, if you don't have an understanding of God, just like that Isaiah passage, that God is committed to his covenant and to his people, which was to you. If you do not think of God as a God of that kind of character, and you do not understand how his character works or that he works behind the scenes, you might not actually think of him that way, and you might not actually be actually open to trust him with certain things because you feel that this is too big for God. Or I can't give this to him. It means too much to me to have him care for this in my life. But I think the more you understand who he is, which I'm hoping we can do a little bit today, that he's actually maybe more than you know, is that maybe the more you can have a reliance on him. And there's a peace that comes with that. There's There's a peace that comes with that trust that you can rely on him. Let me give you three passages, three areas, eras in same God, okay? So that way we can see he is the same today, yesterday, and forever for you as well. Psalm 55:22 and the NLT says give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Isaiah 46:44 and the NIV says even uh, to your old age and gray hairs I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. And I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Different era. Now let's jump to another era. 1 Peter 5, 7, NLT. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he actually cares about you. God has not changed. I would say this. Circumstances have changed, maybe in your life, but God has never changed. The problem I think we'll get ourselves into is when the circumstances change, we think actually then God has changed. And that's just not the case. And all throughout history of humanity and, and, and to today, he has not changed. He will not change. He will never change. How can perfect change? Our circumstances will, but God will not change. His character will care for you. Henry Nouwen, great author, love a few of his books especially. He said this, Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who care for the poor. He said, blessed are we where we are poor, where we are broken. It is there that God loves us deeply and pulls us into deeper communion with himself. You must be reminded of this, is that when you are in the worst place, when you are in a difficult place, that there is a God who cares more than you do for you. Our circumstances might not line up with our eyes, but our faith must line up with God's character, that he's at work and he's behind the scenes doing something. I wrote these questions down, and I don't want to be offensive, but I'm going to just say them. If you think that you're alone, unseen, and scared, then you're wrong. You're just wrong. At first I put it, if you feel like that, but I can't, I can't invalidate your feelings. But if you actually think God isn't there, then you're just flat out wrong. If you question whether you are important to God, you have to remember how he found you. 
I was uh, reading this story a while back. I was trying to remember it for this sermon, and I found it. And it's about this dog, Dodo, and, um, which is a tragic name. And it, it, this dog had gotten loose. I think we have a picture of little Dodo there. And <clears throat> he had, he, they were, family was at a, this story's horrible. I don't know why Dodo even did what he did. The family was at a rest area and left him at the rest area accidentally, went home 40 miles and realized Dodo wasn't with them. Dodo found his way home after 40 miles, 26 days Dodo wanted to get home and found his way home. Now, can you imagine when the family saw Dodo coming and they said, if they would have said, we found Dodo. How insulted Dodo would be besides that terrible name that they gave him. And that they left him at a rest area. Dodo found them. They did not find Dodo. It would be embarrassing to even say it out loud. Yet I think we think that we found God. We kind of put the credit on us maybe or even just the, the effort on us. But God found you. You didn't find God. He found you right where you were at. He, he, he went after the one lost. Right? He found you. You did not find him. And we have to remember that because we can think that, oh, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I found him. I was at a broken place and I needed him and I found religion, if you will. Some people would say that. But I, I would say that you're 100% wrong, that God found you. A, a journey in your life, wherever that moment was, you should remember that moment because he tracked you down and he found you. If you want to know how much God cares about you, remember the moment he found you and where he found you and how he found you. He's never, ever stopped tracking you down. I, I, I'm a living testimony of this. I didn't want God to find me, and I was running. <clears throat> and he came and found me in a time when I did not, did not expect it at all. As a matter of fact, I was slightly disturbed by the fact that I was sensing God speaking to me and it was like this is weird is this the drugs or is this God I don't know can't tell the difference right there is this time when you just all of a sudden you realize God has found me he will trek for you he cares about you I would say this this message is is not for everybody but it is critical for some some of you are at a critical place and you need to know how deeply God cares about you how badly he wants for your best. When Jesus says to live life and live it to its fullest, how badly he wants that for you. He doesn't want you to go through life and just wonder, wander purposely, wondering, God, where are you? Or, or, or experience the heavy load of disappointment and despair that you might feel. He wants more. He wants fullness for you. But I would say this, God is not, nor will he ever abandon you. He will not leave you. Right? I would say this. Heaven, heaven did not cancel you. It doesn't cancel people. No matter what you say, no matter what you doubt, no matter what, God, heaven does not cancel you. There is nothing you can do to offend heaven enough that God will not continually come after you and call you his own. So I have one point, two thoughts. Uh, first thing is this, and I think it will just stick right in this theme, is I want to talk about care and struggle when you're struggling. 
And I would say this, if you're not going through this, right, you're not critical, but it, it's good for you to hear, then please understand that you can convey this to someone else who is struggling. It'd be important for them to hear it, to have a representative of God say, listen, this is the God I serve, and this is the God that you serve. You might have forgotten who he is. But care and struggle, this, I would say the struggles come to us all, but God's care is always present. The, I, would, <laughs> I would love to, you to raise your hand. So we can publicly shame you. If you have never gone through a struggle, please raise your hand. <laughs> We've all gone through a struggle. It would be a joke if, if any of us raised our hand and said, nah, I've never really struggled. We'd be like, really? Wow. But the fact is, is that when you were born into this world, it was a struggle in your birth. It was a struggle being raised. It's a struggle for your parents to raise you. And it was a struggle. And you will find times, sometimes the struggle... Make, brings perseverance, like the Bible says. But there are struggles where you have no idea and it feels like it just weakens you. Our faith, our trust in God in the middle of a struggle, knowing that he cares for us is so important. Isaiah, again, 41, in the same vein, God, God speaks this essentially about him. In verse 13, it says, The Lord your God, hold your hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Now, he's not saying this to a guy who's living great. He's saying this to a guy who's living in a real hard time and had to do a real hard thing and basically became public enemy number one because he spoke the truth. <laughs> but I am the one who helps you. Remember that, Isaiah, when you are scared. I would say this in the two parts of the care and struggle is there is care at a personal level. And so we can go super personal that God is individually interested in you. He is very much focused on you. His capacity to do it, we can't explain, but God is capable of doing it. More places at once. First Kings 17, this is Isaiah's struggle, and this is why God says what he says to Isaiah. Um, I'm sorry, Elijah. In, sorry, not Isaiah. This is Elijah's struggle. And Elijah, in this time, Elijah was given a word to say a very difficult thing, and he was to tell the king who was married to Jezebel, to say, hey, listen, you are corrupt. You are not the king God wants, and drought and famine is coming. No one wants to hear bad news. And a king who can remove your head does not want to hear bad news. And he's, his new wife is very much not about any bad news or Elijah coming and telling these kind of things. And so he is now at a point where his life is in jeopardy because he spoke the truth. And God tells him, listen, you got, you got to go. You got to go to this place. He leaves everything he knows. He goes into this dry land that has a little river that on the seasonal rains, there'll be water there, but eventually it will dry up. And God says, go there. First Kings 17, 4. It shall be that you shall drink from the wadi, this little river stream that remains. And I have commanded crows to sustain you there. You know how ridiculous that is? Can you imagine if God told you something that was way out of the ordinary, like Cyrus delivering this non, you know, anointed, this non-Israeli uh, 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 coming to set them free? Why? Can you imagine when God comes way out of, the, out of nowhere and sends a crow and says, hey, this crow is going to take care of you. What? God does weird things. And you should know that. 
There will be weird things. You might have an enemy actually come and bless you in a hard time. You don't know where or how he works. But man, oh man, does God at work. And then from there, these crows, they bring meat and they bring food. It says meat and bread in the morning, but only meat at night. That's interesting. Is that like a diet tip? I didn't understand. I was like, okay, God's trying to keep them healthy. He's drinking. He's eating. The river dries up. Then God's like, go to this lady's house. Goes to this lady's house. He's like, okay, I'm here. God's going to take care of me. There's going to be lots of food. And she's like, actually, you came at a really bad time. The drought and the famine, you know, that you had said. Um, well, we have this one last meal, and we're going to make it, me and my child, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to prepare to die. And he's like, whew. It's hard sometimes, the way God works. But he's doing something. And so then he blesses the food, and it continually flows until they don't need it anymore. The drought's over. We can say for at least nine months out of the rainy season. God will work in this way. He continues to take him down that path. But I, I think this is true. We feel like the future is dark. And, and when we feel like it's over, you just have to remind yourself. But then there's, there's God, too. And I think Elijah probably felt that. And we walked in there and saw that the supplies were empty. And he's like, what? God will do what he does. I want to read these testimonies if I have time. I... Um, you ever get lost down a rabbit trail, right? I love testimonies. Like, they inspire my faith. And I've somehow found this website about this um, uh, women's ministry in Tennessee of this small church about this size. And the impact that they were making was profound. Uh, it was called, uh, I, don't, I can't even remember what it was. It was like, uh, oh, yeah, Women of Hope, test, the, the Women of Hope. And they developed a prison ministry where, the radical transformation is unbelievable. Uh, they just put their testimonies in three paragraphs, which was great for me. That's how you read it in three paragraphs. But I was reading, I read about 50 of them, and I was like, I can't read anymore. I can't read. I need, I need, to, I need to just like, uh, the, one of these testimonies, two of them I really liked, and I was like, but I just couldn't stop reading them. They were so good of what God is doing in people's lives when the personal struggle is real. I got to read it. It's so good. Let me read this first one. This is from Tara. She's 39. She said, I came to Women of Hope in, in January 2019, broken and alone, having lost everything, addicted, uh, addiction once again. I battled addiction for almost 20 years. I've been to countless rehab programs only to relapse uh, time and time again. Each time, uh, I would lose a little bit more of hope. That, um, that I would ever live, out, um, w- live without drugs. My life had become a trial of broken promises, uh, uh, shattered hearts, and wasted potential. She had periods in her life where she had uh, in a recovery of depression and anxiety. And then she goes on to say this. When I was a teenager, I began to self-medicate. My drug use skyrocketed after the birth of my first child. I began to use heroin intravenously for eight years. There were times of recovery, but none lasted. During this time, I had two more children and would eventually lose custody of all of them. This is the story of every single woman that I had read in those 50 testimonies at least. It was, the, it was in jail that I met Pastor Marcy, and she uh, and got me accepted into Women of Hope. 
where I was there, I found freedom from depression and I have seen God's love for me in new ways. I have a great new, a great relationships that I have, uh, uh, that I have longed for my entire life. I have now been on staff for over a year and I'm so grateful to give back to the ministry that helped me get my life back. There has been tremendous healing in my family and there is much more coming. The timing is perfect. I am living proof of the grace of God, and if he did it for me, he can do it for anyone. I love stories like this. This, 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 this person didn't see this coming, but God was working on her behalf. And good old Pastor Marcy, whatever she said, next thing you know, this woman is in a new direction, in a new life. These are first-time believers. The second one I want to read is, is pretty significant. She said, I became involved with drugs when I was 22 years old. That's pretty late. After having my second C-section, the doctor sent me home with some pain medication. I noticed that it gave me more energy, and that's exactly what I needed with two small children. This is not good advice, um, just to let you know, but she's very honest. So I thought, my drug of choice started as pain pills, but one day I tried meth, and I fell absolutely in love with it. My thinking was so distorted that I couldn't understand why everyone wasn't so proud of me because I was finally kicking the habit of pain pills. <laughs> I was doing meth all day, every day. I think uh, I even got to the point where I thought, uh, where I thought I had a problem during my addiction because I really thought I could uh, quit if I wanted to. But I, I, but I just never wanted to quit. I got pregnant with my youngest son, and that wasn't even enough uh, for me to quit. My son was born addicted to drugs. Uh, he had to stay in the NICU because he went through withdrawals. I was charged with aggravated child abuse, and I went to jail several times because I would not stop using drugs. The last time I went to jail, 2012, I heard about the woman, Women of Hope and was uh, court-ordered to complete the program. She didn't want to go. She had to go. I graduated from the program, but the relapse in 2014, this was when I finally let go, and I let God. I lost everything by, the time, by that time. Since I completed Women of Hope in 2014, I've had so many blessings. My biggest blessings have been that my family has been completely restored, and I became the director of Women of Hope. My whole life I have re has revolved around helping other ladies in the cycle of addiction and letting them know that if God can do it for me, he will do it for them also. This is definitely not a job that I was qualified for, but God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. My life verse is Jeremiah 29, 11, and then he has definitely shown me that his plans for me to prosper, and through God I have hope in a future. That's Christy. She's 41. That's a real story right there. That's reality. This happens a lot. I love the story of redemption. I love the story of when redeemed people go and seek redemption for others. We're called into the ministry of redemption and reconciliation. And I love it that it blindsided them. And next thing you know, they're just doing something they never thought they would do and they never thought they would experience. God is working covertly. On your behalf, he is making things work in the, in, in, in the timing and, and the loss and the experience. But I love the gratitude of I was here and then God brought me here. Don't lose heart that God personally is caring about you no matter where you're at.
The last thing is, is care at a broad level. I think individually as a church, we focus a lot on ourselves. And that's good because God is about you. But on a broad level, you have to realize God is for the church. God is working on behalf of the church. I would say this, and this isn't a pitch to try to get you to go to church, but the church makes it all the way to the end, and the church is part of the ushering of the kingdom of heaven, and the church is a big part of God's plan, and the church doesn't lose, and God is working on behalf of the church. I would say if the church was a lifeboat, I would hang on. It's a big deal. It's not about sitting in the seats. It's about being the church. And God is taking the church somewhere. He will never let it fail. He will never let it decrease in its effectiveness. Galatians 1.13. Paul says this about himself as he's preaching his sermon, or is writing to the Galatians. He says, I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. Paul oversaw murders. Paul oversaw the working and jailing of people, and he said, I breathe violence and murder. And one day on the way to Damascus, he had had a, a, a decree from his rulers that he could go and arrest, go door to door, and take Christians out and squash this rebellion. Damascus is an interesting place. It's been around, I mean, since Genesis, right? It's old. Many people have ruled there. But it really is very vital because it's a choke point between the rest of the world and Israel. And he goes specifically to Damascus because he's going to cut this off before it goes any further. And he's going to go door to door, and he's going to knock on doors, and he's angry, and he's zealous, and he's got the passion, the smarts, and the backing now. A dangerous person. And I can't even imagine what these people were going through when they knew a knock came at the door that was the end for them. I read these stories all over the world. When the knock comes to the door, you're done. I read about them in China. I read about them in Sudan. I read about them in North Korea. When the knock comes, that means your life's about ready to change. These people are feeling this, right? Their days are numbered. But remember, but God, he's for the church. He's not going to let it fail. He's got an end point for the church. He already knows where it's going. And it's funny because in this moment in the Damascus Road where Paul is encountered directly with Jesus, their greatest threat now all of a sudden Saul becomes their greatest ally, Paul. I, God can do things that we just can't quite do because he's working behind the scenes. He's doing things. All those Christians in Damascus didn't realize Jesus had just literally personally converted Paul and put him at work for the gospel, Right? Let me read this. As soon as, as soon as Paul is, scales fall off and he's ready to go. It says in Acts 19, uh, 9, 19-22, For some days he was uh, with the disciples at Damascus. He didn't wait long and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. This is crazy to everybody watching this guy do this. And he says this. He, Jesus, is the Son of God. This is blasphemy 101. This is a death sentence for Paul now. He would have jailed or killed this, had this person put to death. And all who heard him were amazed. Is not this the man who had made havoc in Jerusalem? Are all those who called upon this name? And he, had he not come here for this purpose to bring him bound before the chief priest? 
But Saul increased in all the more strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. By proving that Jesus was the Christ. His story is inspirational because you don't know what God's doing in the midst of your problem. They're worried about it in their houses, huddled down, saying, don't speak to anybody about Jesus. And Jesus is literally converting their greatest enemy. That's just how he works. He's for the church. On a broad scale, he will not let the church fail. You can never, ever, ever worry about that. God doesn't really care about poll numbers about church attendance these days. It doesn't bother him. He's not worried. But God is doing something, and he is working in the hearts of people and mankind, and he is calling all people to him. And I can see his work, because in one poll number, it's funny, I, I read them, and, and God doesn't care about them, but I'm still reading them. And I'll read one that says church attendance is at like 54% compared to a long time ago, where it was like as high as 90. But if you look at people who are praying to God, searching for spirituality, looking for something greater, or at least having a daily prayer time in their life, skyrocketed over the pandemic. To 90%. Crazy. If you're worried about the youth, Generation Z, they were just pulled thousands of them who were their first year freshmen in college. And uh, of, of the thousands pulled, 80% said they're much more comfortable. They want to talk about God. They're having conversations about God. These are not believers. These are people who know about religion but want to talk about God. God is doing something very, very interesting. He will never let the church fail. He has a mission to do. I want you guys, if you could, to bow your heads and, um, for a minute. And I want to read this last passage. And then I want to um, just kind of speak a, a blessing over communion and remind us something important. This is what God says when you are feeling like I am alone. Things are lost. There's no hope. Or it's hopeless. God says, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Even if you feel left by everyone else, God says, yet I will not forget you. In Isaiah 49. You have to know who is with you, by you, and always chasing after you. I'm going to ask that just in a second, if you, those questions that you wrote down, if you would just do this, take some time this week and reflect on those questions. I believe God will do something really good in your soul and in your spirit. I believe that might be a powerful moment for some of us. Some of us might even spring into glorifying God and praising him and thanking him like those women who seemingly to us lost everything, but hoping in God's restoration and glorify and testify of his goodness. I believe God's going to put people on your heart. I believe that if you're open and you can trust God and you can rely on him, he will guide your steps and order you, and you are the answer to a prayer waiting for someone that God wants to deploy you. And I think that you'll anchor yourself to him and you'll trust him more. And I really hope that you hope again and glorify him. When Jesus washed those feet, and as you have your communion elements in your hand, he washed their feet after he had broken the bread. And he was showing them something that they don't quite understand yet, but they all learned in due time about his work 
And as you have communion today, this might be a great day to thank God that he sent Christ, that John 3.16 has been his heart the whole time. From the very beginning, his heart has not stopped for humanity and has not stopped for you. And Christ came for you. And he, he found you. So if he found you and was willing to go such great lengths to find you, wherever you were at, I was in my room praying at, at the worst place in my life and God found me. He will not stop on your behalf. And it's a moment maybe to thank God and his Christ's sacrifice, God's mission and heart for you and his care for you, and the shedding of blood so that you can stand righteously before God be of eternal life. It's such a blessing, such a gift. And ultimately, I would say today as we take communion, let's thank God for his constant laboring for you. He's on your side. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That definitely is the character of God, period. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. As we get ready to worship and as we get ready to take communion, God, I ask that you stir our hearts and you remind us of the moments of when we experience your love and we experience your care. And God, at the same time as we worship, we worship you, God, a God who loves his people deeply and will go to the ends of the earth for them. And God, I just thank you today. We walk out and we thank you for your labor. And you will not stop. And so, God, we thank you for that. Constantly caring, constantly loving, constantly healing the brokenhearted, constantly encouraging, constantly opening doors, constantly guiding and directing us, bringing people in our path and inspiring us to go to others. We love you, God. You're so great. And you deserve all the glory, all the praise for everything that we have and don't have yet. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.